This episode was sponsored by MPB, the world's largest online platform for used photo and video kit. Visit mpb.com. Hey folks, in this episode of the podcast, I'm sitting down with Alexander Sidas. We're gonna be talking about his company, StoryMD. Hey, welcome back to another episode of This Week in Photo. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Today, we're gonna dive deep. We're going, we're going uh, into science, physics, and all that sort of thing with someone who's an expert in those things and has invented and created some of the most outstanding work that you've ever seen and has done it not the way you might think that it would be done. Alexander is here to talk about his work with StoryMD and some other companies that he's founded and why he's doing what he's doing in the medical field. Alexander, welcome to the show. How's it going? Hey, Frederick. Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. I've been watching your work for a while and my God, the, the kind of free flow of information has just been so important. But also just very cool. I just love the, the relaxed nature with which you do this is great. Thank you. Thank you. That means a lot to me. Thank, uh, you know, considering, you know, looking at your bio, before we started doing this, I was, you know, of course, I'm doing my homework, reading the bio and kind of getting to know the guests and everything. And like many of the guests I have on, maybe more so here, I was intimidated, you know, like, oh, God, I got to get ready. This guy, <laughs> this guy is the real deal. He's in, he's creating, inventing lenses, a mathematician, a scientist, an artist, a journalist. You've done a lot of stuff. Let's start there. Let's start with the origin story of Alexander and where you started. How did you get started in this field of sort of helping people, let's call it see better and see things that they may not have seen before? Yeah, you know, I, I do have an unorthodox kind of background. You know, we came from Greece. My mother's from the base of Mount Olympus. My father is from the northern uh, Macedonian mountains. And basically what happened is we came via Ellis Island to the United States. And I used to hear all these incredible stories that they would tell me about Greece. You know, they came after the war. And so when I was 19, I left America and I went back to spend a year. My father was a goat herder, very similar to the Spanish Basque, where they bring their goats down south. So my father would bring his his goats from the Macedonian borders down to Mount Olympus, where my mother was. And so I spent a year when I was 19 herding 2,000 goats from the Macedonian and Albanian borders down to Mount Olympus with my two Laikas. And then in my mother's village, they had these very rare funeral ceremonies because the greeks don't really celebrate you know birth we celebrate death you know all, we don't have birthdays we have named which are based on the deaths of saints and so we have these elaborate ceremonies that were so fascinating that i just spent another year just photographing them and it was published my first book basically i published i was 19 years old with princeton university press just using two leicas and then when i came back to the united states you know i started my photojournalistic career there and the drama of that kind of work was spectacular but the, that kind of drama of death was hard to find that kind of equivalent drama in the UNES, in the United States. And I visited my brother, who was chairman of the Department of Ophthalmology at Brown University. And all of a sudden, I went into this operating room where, you know, they're cutting these eyes. You go, whoa, this is drama. Wow. So I started photographing medical procedures that were sort of the beginning of my professional career. Wow. Wow. And, and I mean, obviously, you love doing it, right? And, and yeah, I think you have to have a certain kind of 
I don't know, wherewithal to be able to photograph that, that sort of thing. When I was, many of the audience, many of the people in the audience know I was a, a prior combat photojournalist in the United States Air Force. And at the beginning of my career, I remember one of the first kind of hazing jobs they sent me on was to photograph an autopsy. And my first and last autopsy, let's say. <laughs> Not a good time and not not something that I can see myself doing as a career. You know, and not, I'm not overly queasy, but you know, there are limits. So how did how did you find yourself in that vein? You know, in the medical world of imaging and did, did it just click with you and you're like, OK, this is where I want to be? Or was it more of there's a need for someone with my expertise in this area and I can fill it? Therefore, I'm compelled to do it. What, what was the driving force? In the early stages, it's it's you don't recognize the need. You just recognize that there's kind of something spectacular going on here that could be recorded in a in a much more compelling way. It was almost like a they're almost like paintings, you know, where everything is when you go into an operating room, everything is either blue or green, so that when you do cut that red, actually is a contrast, so you don't lose the instruments inside the person. You can find them more easily. But that you know overhead light, that dramatic, it's, it's almost like Hollywood, uh, except they're there are consequences to it. But over a period of time, as you photograph more and more of that, you started to realize there are more things going on inside the body than what can be recorded from just reflected light. Mm -hmm. And then I started to look at other kinds of methodologies of, of recording these, like microscopes and endoscopes, where you could actually go inside, but still it was reflected light. So it was a time at that point I started to teach myself, you know, uh, advanced mathematics or mathematics and then, of course, getting into advanced mathematics and then physics and started to actually design my own cameras and lenses. And I designed the first microscope in the 19, uh, early 1980s when the first in vitro fertilization programs were happening in the United States that we could photograph the eggs alive that were actually being put back into the woman. And then also started a year later working on endoscopes where you could actually, you know, pipe an, uh, a camera inside the body, mm -hmm. but still it was reflected light. And so at one point in the late 80s, as I started to look at CT scans and MR scans, are sitting here saying, my God, it's, it's, light. It's, it's a different kind of energy source going through the body. But you then had to learn Unix and then C and C++ so you could actually start writing algorithms. But I understood how light moved through physical space, then how light moved in virtual space was not so difficult. And then I started to actually work on supercomputers to basically compile these scans so I can make images. In the end, they're all images, whether the light is coming from a camera, a reflected light, or whether it's a different kind of energy going inside the body. In the end, you end up with this spectacularly dramatic image of what makes us us. Yeah, yeah it's so interesting you say that. I'm, I'm gonna, there's two directions I want to take what you just said, and, and that's one, I want to, um, yeah, and I hate to use the phrase unpack, but I want to unpack the, the fact, and you kind of glossed over this, that you, A, you taught yourself mathematics, right, in advanced mathematics, and use that learning to then go on and create lenses and algorithms to create the images that you wanted to create. 
So that can we can we just talk about that a little bit? Because that is fascinating to me that that you have the not only are you an artist, but you because usually it's left brain or right brain. Someone's left brain dominant or right brain dominant. <laughs> you seem to have you seem to have both dominant there. So you can create the algorithms and write the code and algorithms to do the art or capture the images that you want to create, whether it's through visible light or some other other means. Do you? I mean, am I on track with that? That you're you're able to wield both sides of your brain? Yeah, I mean, the thing is that you know, I was also before that I was trained as a painter and a sculptor. So basically, what happened as a painter and a sculptor, you learn beauty, and and the idea of you know how can you make an image that's in your mind's eye. Then I went into journalism. Uh, the photography that I was doing in medicine, which I spent almost, you know, like 10, 15 years working with Life and Time magazine, photographing for them. And you learn to tell the story. And then I went into technology with mathematics. So basically it was how can you use technology? How can you use storytelling? And how can you make beauty compile into an image that tells you a compelling story about whatever it is that you're observing? Yeah. And so the mathematics are are really, if you, it, here's an interesting kind of where my photography background was really interesting. You know, in the early days, you had to learn the Ansel Adams zone system. Now, the zone system is zero to 10. You yep. know, the five is the perfect gray. You use your, you're used to, in those days, have a light meter. You take the, 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 the gray panel and you take your zone and you knew that basically you had your perfect averaging system. But in, in, when we started to go into medical imaging, if you put someone into a CT scan, it's very similar to the Ansel Adams zone system. So what you do is you put a water balloon inside the CT scanner, and that's your zone five. That's your Ansel Adams perfect gray. And then what happens is that you go all the way to zero, which the Ansel Adams is black. It's the same thing on a CT scan, except instead of having only zero to five, you have now over 2000 values on this. And Every one of those zones, instead of just being reflective of a perfect black and white picture, is giving you a value of the tissue. So something like you put your cursor on the voxel instead of the pixel, because it's a three-dimensional pixel, mm -hmm. you put your cursor on it and you can say, oh, this is less dense than, um, than uh, a water phantom. So you go from water all the way to air. And then when you go to the bright side of the Ansel Adams system, to the to the whites, what happens is that you're going towards bone, and then what if you see something like a, a filling in the tooth that's a metal filling, that would be completely bleached out white, like a ten on on Ansel Adams zone system. So basically, you're taking your photography lessons, and you're they're analogous to a lot of the scientific information that you are trying to acquire. It basically, but instead of just having ten, you'd have two thousand uh, values, and you're and that's where you find the cancer, because instead of someone is saying, oh, I've got a perfect uh, zone for a bark of a tree, I'm sitting here saying this zone in this tissue is actually shouldn't be there. It's indicating cancer. Yeah, you know, it's it's so interesting that you say that because we're we you and I were talking about just sort of capturing images through things other than visible light, which is kind of what we're talking about here. And. I think, and tell me if I'm off base here, I think of photography as everything from macro and, you know, or even, you know, other forms of image capture all the way through, you know, talking visible light, all the way through to what James Webb is doing, right? With mm -hmm. that, it's essentially just a large camera, but it's, it's capturing infrared light in other wavelengths that are not visible to the human eye, which would obscure the image. So here we're talking, you're doing something similar, but inside of the human body. So you can see things that, that weren't captured before. What, what have, 
what I'm really curious about is the these advances that you've made and you know towards helping the world be a better place and helping people get healthier and all that. What have you seen that as a direct impact of some of the technologies that you've developed? I know you've been on several magazine covers and all that, but but here, what what are some some direct impact of the the efforts of Alexander? Well, for example, and this actually is very interesting from a photography point of view because yeah. the thing is that um, one year. I won the World Press Award for photographing the kind of the smallest heart transplant ever produced. And then the following mm. year, that was the last year that I was actually making photographs. Following two years, I actually designed and worked on a new technology where you could actually do virtual surgery in advance on a child who had a, a abnormal skull. And so I did the entire operation on the computer for the surgeon in advance, and we published it in all these medical journals. But it also became a kind of like a famous magazine article. But then when I gave it to the World Press Award again, after having won it, they rejected it because they said the images were manipulated. And so you're sitting here saying, well, that's interesting because the idea is that's the photography world telling me that now these are no longer photographs. These are now manipulated images, but that's what scientific visualization is all about. You have to take compiled images and make them into an image, and that's how you understand it. So that was one of the relevant pieces that I did where we actually did virtual surgery in advance, and that has really taken off very similarly to how people are taught uh, you know, uh, to be pilots, you yeah. know, flight simulation, you can do surgical simulations. Simultaneously, I worked with a guy named Paul Lauterborough. Paul had designed a micromagnetic resonance imaging machine to sort of see the development of fetus, but he couldn't actually see the the data. So I wrote the algorithms in code. And then basically what happened is we went on to uh, actually visualize the development of fetus from conception to birth. Paul went on to win the Nobel Prize for inventing the MRI and we ended up with this beautiful book that was on the cover of time it was on oprah you know got a lot of attention so yeah. every time we are visualizing this piece of information you're advancing you know and, and they're incremental changes you're not i'm not saying that we revolutionize the world what you do is you add up uh, all the changes that are being made in other industries the web gets faster uh, computers get you know the chips get faster you you take advantage of everyone so for example in the past when we would try to find a piece of cancer in the body, we would write these algorithms to try to tease out. You get an image, and then you get the image below it, and the image, and that, say it's a, a tumor in the head. And you have all these slices, and you're trying to go through the head to sort of find where that cancer is. Well, that's very similar to Hollywood, when they're basically compositing an image of one thing against one one slide after another after until you sequence it. In Hollywood, it's a sequence of linear images. In, in three-dimensional images, it's a stack of images that are on top of each other that you visualize in 3D. So we borrow steel from everybody else until we basically can advance the science to understand how the human body functions and try to get rid of a pathology. And that's what StoryMD is all about. Yeah, and I want to I want to dive into StoryMD um, <clears throat> and your history. Another company you built was called the Visual MD. I want to talk about that as well. What, sure. what you're talking about reminds me a lot of the drone technology, you know, with, mm -hmm. with these UAVs that we have flying around, um, which wouldn't have been possible without a lot of the technologies that were developed before they showed up, like the accelerometer and the, you know, obviously the digital compass in there and then smaller engines and battery technology. All those things came together uh, in a confluence kind of, of 
technology to make these drones and UAVs and a whole new industry possible, which arguably made much, you know, images that weren't possible before from average people possible. Absolutely. Same same yeah. thing here. So that's it's really interesting to see where things are going. And I, I wholeheartedly agree. You know, these these small little butterfly effect changes have giant exponential ramifications in the future, which kudos for making all these things happen. So the, the you know, I have in my notes here, the, the Visual MD. So yeah. what was the, you, you founded and you were the CEO of this, of the Visual MD. What was the main goal of that company? Yeah, the Visual MD started from the point of view that we could actually, these new technologies where we basically could use uh, CT scans and MR scans yep. and supercomputers to basically map the human body from the molecular all the way up to the gross anatomy, you know, from the moment of conception to advanced age, we could actually scan it and have a huge library that we could actually reference. You have to remember that this, there's, a, there's a long history of this kind of work, whether you're looking at uh, Doors uh, paintings of the human body, whether you're looking at Da Vinci's work, whether you're even if you're looking at Rembrandt's paintings of surgery, they, these people did these not as art, they did them as studies to sort of understand how the human body works. And we were just doing exactly the same thing. But eventually, they were also so beautiful that people sort of elevated them to art as opposed to studies. We were just basically trying to map every part of the human body to understand how it worked. And, you know, it's always a simple question. It's very hard to understand when things go wrong if you don't understand the normal. The normal is the marvel of how you're made. But then something goes wrong, and then on top of it, what do I do about it? That is the fundamental thing that most people want to know. How am I made? What went wrong? What do I do about it? That's all we were trying to visualize, and that's what the Visual MD created this huge library over, over 20 years. Uh, but one of the problems with it was that we were not moving the dial on behavior. People are highly resistant. So what we needed to do was up the ante because I can say, oh, you have type 2 diabetes, tell you the most beautiful story and the consequences of it. But you always sitting there saying, well, it's one generation removed. What we wanted to do is create a new world where basically it's not this, a proxy story of like a first cousin. It is the story of you. And so what we did is we figured out a way of creating a new methodology that we can actually translate all of your medical results and visualize it so you can understand the story of yourself. Wow. I want that. Right. I think I think <laughs> as as we get older, I want that. You know, right now I have a the, the medical provider I use is a company called Kaiser Permanente. Sure. And, you know, they have an app and I can look at all my medical records and tests and any procedures I've had. I can go back and see all that. But I have no way of knowing what the big picture is or. You know, there are these markers in my family, so they're, therefore am I predisposed to this thing. I want to live in a world, kind of a Ready Player One science fiction world, where I can see, okay, I want to see my body. Oh, look, you are, or, or have it, you know, like on these science fiction shows where you, you take a sip of water or you give it a sample in the morning while you're brushing your teeth, and the computer says, it looks like you are low in calcium today, Frederick. Drink a glass of milk, <laughs> right? Or <laughs> something, something like that. I want that, you know? Or, or well, to have a surgeon. Here. Right? That's here? here? Well, think, think about it. You get your lab reports, right? You, you go yep. every year, you get lab reports. Really yep. what happens is that you have a financial portfolio over here and you can look at your Apple stock and see at any point in time it's gone up, yeah. it's gone down. 
why should you not have a health portfolio where you can actually see your HDL and your LDL, your glucose and your blood pressure dynamically? So as you as you go to your doctor every year, and what happens is that you get your blood pressure once a year, you get your glucose once a year. I mean, your glucose and your blood pressure are changing tens of thousands of times in a day. And therefore, really what you should be doing is when you're eating, see what's going on with your glucose. Is your glucose pumping up because you're eating a specific type of food or having a specific type of drink? Those wearables are coming on the market. We are importing all of those into your medical record along with your the, the record that you're getting from your physician. So wow. fundamentally, you will be able to see your own biological map over time, the same way you look at your stock. You will have a health portfolio that will allow you dynamically to be eating something or behaving in some way and seeing dynamically what's going on with the wearables coupled with the information that's coming in from your physician. That is coming out in June. Oh, yeah. wow. Because that knowledge is power, right? I mean, the knowledge of as we get older, and I'm speaking of from a sample size of one here, right? So as I, as I get older, you, you, we have trouble or I have trouble letting go of the things and the behaviors that I had when I was younger and I'm applying those to the older me, which in yep. some cases is the wrong thing to do in terms of diet and activity and all that stuff. Wouldn't it be great to have something that knows, hey, Frederick, you are this age now, therefore you should be eating more of this stuff and doing less of this and, you know, exercising more, you know, those sorts of, we're kind of getting there with these Apple watches that are reminding me, to, okay, you need to stand up or go for a walk or be more active, but I want it to the next level. I want it to be based on science and my personal science and my personal biology that, hey, other than you haven't walked today, like, like I was joking about before, your calcium is low or you know, your testosterone is low, so therefore these changes are gonna start happening in your body if you don't do something to change that. Is that what you're saying is coming in June? Are we getting close to that level? I would even up an added level above that because one of the things that happens when there are consequences, and this is where we come back to photography or imaging. So for example, um, I love sushi, but you, know, you eat too much tuna, and then basically what happens, your mercury levels go up. Yeah. We have images of what happens to your neuron where basically it takes your neuron and just flays it. It just looks like it's just now hairs coming out of your out of the end of the, the dendritic ends. And it just shows you the beauty of a real neuron. And then it shows you what happens to the neuron. You have too much mercury in it and just kills it. So the idea is not only to tell you your mercury is up, but to show you the consequences. The same thing we have um, that was it was on the cover of Nature. We visualized what happens under chronic stress. Stress is good. You can't build a muscle. You can't learn a new word in another language if you don't stress the brain. The killer is chronic stress because it's corticosteroids. And corticosteroids, when they're constantly, constantly pumping inside your body over a period of time, instead of doing you some good, do you damage. And so we show you the dendritic ends in your brain just shrinks your brain by a third over a period of time through chronic stress or, or depression. So there are consequences. And this is where the visualization comes back in. The idea is that I need to see it. I need to viscerally understand that action that I'm taking or not taking. These are the consequences. Yeah. See, there's so many directions that we can go here. One of them that pops into my mind when you're talking is this is great, right? We want we want people to be healthier. We want people to be informed and know, you know, what they need to do in order to feel better and think better and all that stuff, especially as you get older. Um, yeah. But as we extend lifespans, what does that do to overpopulation, right? Or is it is is population, in other words, is 
population control built into you know, or do we have built-in obsolescence into our bodies? So the planet knows that, hey, we gotta, we gotta shed a certain amount of humans in order for the ones that remain to be able to survive and thrive. If we tinker with that, and now everyone's living to be 100 and 110, what does that do to everything? Is that a consideration? Do we care about that? Or, or what, what do you think as, a, as someone that's playing and making this stuff happen? Yeah, I mean, that actually it, it dovetails into a, a, a different question, because basically when we're talking about prevention and wellness, what you're really yeah. trying to do is differentiate between aging and longevity. Mm. If you actually take a look at the cell, the cell has the capacity to live to that 110-year-old. The, but the thing is, the difference is that aging is all the crap that you're throwing at that cell that's spending so much time trying to get rid of that crap that basically it disintegrates, degrades over an, an accelerated period of time. So yeah. instead of living to 110, which is capacity, because it has the ability to heal itself, take a look at the liver, you know, fatty liver, drinking, eating too much, all of these kinds of things. Your liver is, is your detoxifier and we toxify it every day. And so what happens here is that our what we're trying to do is allow you to feel the thrill of your own physical potential, which to get to your longevity. Now, will that increase population? That's another issue. But the idea is that who does not want to live vitally until 110 years old, as, so, as opposed to living a crap life up until 70? Right. Yeah, I love it. I, I 100% agree with everything you're saying. I'm a huge mm. fan now. I'm going to be following everything you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I'm curious. You mentioned virtual surgery. I want to. I know we have to wrap up here. I want to start wrapping up and then dovetail into uh, StoryMD. Um, virtual surgery. How far away are we from that? We've seen. You know, we've all seen the documentaries and science fiction shows where there's a physician or a surgeon located in, let's say, Greece, and then there's a patient in New York City, and the surgeon is working through robotics and virtualization on that person accurately and saves a life. Are we are we heading in that direction, or is that complete science fiction? No, no. That that was. I was offered a position. Um, at, at Yale in the Department of Surgery to do exactly that for NASA, where we were writing uh, algorithms to do virtual surgery in preparation for the astronauts going into deep space flight so they mm. could be cut in robotic pods. Because if you get an appendicitis by the moon en route to Mars, you're going to have to be cut. And so the idea is that the difference between uh, cutting dynamically, having the robot do it automatically or you doing it remotely is very different because the thing is that whenever you cut, let's just say you have a brain tumor. Mm -hmm. When you cut, you take a scan of the, of the head, three-dimensional scan, fine, not a big deal, render it very easily. The thing is what happens is that when a surgeon goes and looks at that three-dimensional scans, they get it, they see where the tumor is, and then as they cut into the, into the uh, brain and they break through the dura, that shifts, that tumor goes elsewhere. It starts to shift 18% in one direction or another. And so what happens is the surgeon feels their way through as they go through. Now, if you're going to do that automatically, robotically, that means you have to update that information dynamically. So every time that scalpel from the robot is going through, that information of where that tumor has gone has to be updated and segmented. So it's really a question of the speed and the fidelity of the scanner 
And then basically uh, the tissue differentiation, very similar to like wind shear, when you're talking about flight simulations, wind shear, all these different kinds of dynamics, they're all getting built into these programs. But part of it has to do with the fidelity of the information and the speed with which you get it and, and how good it is so that you can actually chase that tumor correctly. And then on the other side, is, is it also the hardware that the surgeon is working with and the, the tactile feedback? So like you said, if that tumor shifts a little bit or there's some sort of resistance when the surgeon is making that cut, the surgeon on the distant side needs to feel that or do they? Or is it all well, visual? No, no, it has to be. There, there has to be ha what they call haptic tactile feedback systems. Yeah, yeah. Because it's like in our video games, right? It, like video games. And so basically, mm -hmm. as you're going through skull, you, you should be able to feel the density of a skull. But see, that's the beauty of uh, coming back to that Ansel Adams system. Where we were just saying that something that was uh, very, the bleached white information in an Ansel Adams where you wanted to get the perfect light bright information. Well, if you're going through bone, that's going to be much denser. So your resistance is going to be much harder during that. So every one of those pieces of information in relationship to its brightness is telling you what level of resistance you have there. Oh, I love yeah. that. There's so much to unpack. So story, story MD. So what, so you, we, we, you started with the visual MD and created that and we talked about that. Now aren't your, the current project that you're working on is story MD. Tell me about that. What's that about? Yeah, StoryMD is a new platform that we think is going to be it, 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 that we think is going to be the the solution to the non seventeen minutes that you normally spend with your physician a day. I mean, a year. <laughs> I, I wish I had that. <laughs> You know, you, you're, you, you get about 17 minutes when you go for your physical exam every year. That's pretty yep. much what you get as a, as a medical treatment. But things are going on inside your body all the time. And the problem is that you have a single app. Like, for example, if, you're, if it's a woman who's pregnant, you, you build an app and it's a wonderful app for those nine months. But what happens if the woman's asthmatic? She's worried about, you know, her, the drug that she's taking being contraindicated for her, for her pregnancy. She's worried for it being contraindicated for her breastfeeding. And, you know, as you get older, people say, oh, get a hypertension app. Well, people don't normally have just one thing. They'll have atherosclerosis, they'll have AFib. And all of a sudden you've got three different apps that are going and the data doesn't go anywhere. Really what StoryMD was created for was we basically built four pillars. One is a content management system that is, uh, allows you to basically code that so it sees your medical records. And what we did is we built one of the largest uh, libraries in the world with well over 100,000 coded images that actually are coded for anything that's going on inside your body. So when you get a lab report, it has a code. When you get a drug, it has a code. When you get a vaccine, it has a code. If you have a disease, it has a code. In your medical report, that's how a lot of your doctors get reimbursed. But that code is a story. It's a story of what's going on inside your body, all the way down to the molecular level. So we interpret the code and then send you beautiful images and information about what the code means. That's the part that's coming out in, in June, the, your personal medical record. Right now, what we did is we said, okay, but in the meantime, what we can do is we can let people actually have thousands of apps on every imaginable disease condition. So whether it's a blister or whether it's leukemia or whether it's prostate cancer, we have it all visualized. Uh, what is it? What caused it? What are the risk factors? What are the diagnoses? What are the treatments? And what are your prognoses? Every one of these pieces of information are visualized with videos and images to tell you exactly what's going on. Then you can save as many of these web apps as you want 
because maybe you're taking care of your father who may have prostate cancer and you're taking care of your mother who has Alzheimer's and that, that was the case in, in, in my family. Mm -hmm. And maybe you're, you're interested in all the latest. You can save this information and we even build tools so that you can build your own web apps because maybe you want to build because you're the doctor and you want to create simple stories because every, every time you go to a doctor, they're telling you a story about what's going on inside your body. You, you have a problem and they have to tell you what that problem is all about. They always have these kinds of lousy little visuals. Now they can actually build a little app on our, where they can show you exactly what's going on inside your body very quickly. And then you can go home and see the long app because you're only retaining, if you if they tell you you have cancer or something, you're only retaining about 10% of that. Mm -hmm. Now you go home, you can go back and look at that and really understand it intimately and your family can understand it. So we are really giving you the tools, the visual and information tools to understand everything that's going on inside your body. And in, in, in early summer, we're giving you the tools to import your personal data, and this will go directly. It'll read your records and tell you the story of you. You know, the, this this conversation hits square on the home base for me because we recently lost my daughter-in-law and then a couple of years ago, uh, we lost my sister to cancer. Wow. And, wow. you know, the in the particular case of my sister, I remember vividly sitting in the in the, the hospital room with her when the doctors are making their rounds and explaining to us what's happening and what's her condition and what they need to do and the different medications they need all of these things and it, you know 90 percent of them are going over my head i you know i'm googling and trying to understand and then she's not feeling what you know so it was a stressful situation wouldn't yeah. it have been great to have what you're building right now to just look at and have it explained visually and be able to kind of look at what's going on and understand it from a you know, a molecular level, this is what's happening and this is why these things have been triggered and this is why we need this medication, et cetera, et cetera. We didn't have that level of information, which then leads to stress and everything else. This would have been fantastic. So, so June, I can get this, right? June. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, sorry, that part is already built. So you can actually go right in there. And and, and one of the things, Frederick, that you, that you uh, experienced was the, was the frustration of not only trying to understand yourself, but then you're trying to share with other family members. Right. So all of a sudden, once you do understand that, then how do you actually share it with other people? This is one of the big problems in the idea is that normally when you have a loving family, you're basically all coming together and everybody's on a different plane of understanding. This puts everybody on the same plane and everyone goes that it's really that holy shit, I finally get it moment. That's the bottom line. That's what you. That's what StoryMD does for you. It gives you that holy shit. I finally understand what they're talking about. Oh my god! Thank you for building this. Thank you. I can't wait to see it and get my hands on it. Once it's launched and it's out in the world, will you come back on and talk to us about how things are going? And, and we launched yeah. last Monday. We launched oh, last Monday. Oh, it's out now. Okay, so where can people go to look now. at it? Yeah, so just go to storymd.com. It's out, it's already out. And in, in June will be the personalized part of it. So all of those apps, those web apps, those 1,250 web apps of every imaginable disease condition, it's already up. You can go right through it. Wow, congratulations on doing Thank this. You. And do Thank more you. of what you're doing. I mean, clearly you have one of those brains that were designed to make humanity better, right? So <laughs> it, I, I honestly, no joke, I would put you on the in the same sort of stratosphere with, uh, you know, 
you know, someone that's doing amazing things like Elon Musk and those sorts of people that are just smart and taking chances and doing things that are interesting and helpful. And, you know, damn the torpedoes full steam ahead. We're going <laughs> to we're going to help people whether they like it or not. We're just going to do it. <laughs> No, it's true. It's true. And every, anybody watching or listening to this will, I'm sure, feel the same, same, especially after they go to the website and check that out, which I would definitely encourage people to do. Um, so we'll, we'll leave it right there. Thank you, Alexander, for coming on. This, is, this has honor, been really. fantastic. I, I come back anytime. Anytime. Okay. This is so much fun. I'm going to take you up on that because I know people in my audience and in my community are going to be interested to learn more. We've we've got uh, I know we have at least one scientist in my community who I know is listening to this. You know who you are uh, is, is going to want to have some questions for you. So be prepared. You know, we'll we'll be back on the camera again soon. <laughs> Fantastic. I'd love to. Thanks so much, man. Appreciate it. You're welcome. All right. You have a good rest of your day and have a great weekend. You too. You too. man. Take care. Thank you. This is Twitter. This episode was sponsored by MPB, the world's largest online platform for used photo and video kit. Visit mpb.com.